You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives, live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. Hi, everyone. This is Danielle. I am so excited to introduce our podcast listeners today to Myung Lee. She has had a career that spans all the sectors that we've got, the public, private, and social sector, and is currently the executive director of Cities of Service, which is an organization that helps mayors build stronger cities by changing the way local government and citizens work together. Incredibly important work. Cities of Service supports a coalition of more than 250 mayors. We're going to hear how that works <laughs> in building stronger cities by tapping into the knowledge, creativity, and service of their citizens to solve critical public problems, which is, as you all know, a mission that's near and dear to us at Common Impact. Welcome to the podcast, Myung. It's so great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So tell us more about the work that you lead at Cities of Service, what you all do, how you engage more than 250 mayors. That sounds like uh, uh, quite a mandate. (laughs) Yeah, it is. uh, But it's a lot of fun. So we're an organization that was founded by Mayor Bloomberg back in 2009. And since 2014, um, after the incubation period at Bloomberg Philanthropies, while he was still in office, we are now an independent nonprofit organization with a team of 12 people. And we work uh, with we work with mayors across the country to help them be a stronger city by effectively engaging their citizenry. Um, We're issue agnostic, so we will work with our city leadership on any issue, whether it be neighborhood revitalization or resilience or environmental issues or education, whatever it may be. Um, But what we do is to bring three different buckets of support to our cities. Um, And it's tiered support. So not every single one of those 250 plus cities are getting the same level of support from us because there's only 12 of us. But um, what we do is provide um, support and financial, technical assistance and human capital. So we make grants to our cities. We also provide them with human capital in the form of either a chief service officer or a um, or a team of volunteers uh, known as AmeriCorps VISTA members. And then we also have our expertise and technical support, technical assistance from our program team and myself and um, and others in the organization to help the cities do the work that they need to do on the ground. So that's our support that we provide. Um, And then we also have a platform where we are helping cities raise their voices to talk about how they do what they do to increase the recognition and to build a movement for why engagement is so important in the cities. And then we create a community for our city staff that are working on this, whether it's the city leadership like the mayors and city managers, or it's the city staff that are charged with doing the work we are 
creating a network of learning, a community that they can come together, whether virtually or in person, because we do bring them together. They can learn from each other and have a sense of, oh, I'm not the only one that cares about this issue, because um, sometimes you'll find yourself alone in a city doing this work. But you can come together and meet others that are of like mind and get advice and support from them, as well as what not to do, because so that you don't repeat the mistakes that somebody else may have made. And tell us more about the work of civic engagement. And I'm, I'm specifically thinking about, and you wrote an article recently for The Hill and that while civic engagement is increasing, volunteerism is either decreasing or flat. We're not seeing the level of service that from Common Impact's perspective matches the intent to serve, right? That I, there are very few people that are not inclined to serve or participate in volunteerism, uh, but they're not. I would love to hear your perspective on on why that is and the work to get them there. Yeah. So I think, you know, as you know, everybody wants to be helpful and everybody, well, not everybody, maybe, maybe there are some people who are just evil, but for the most part, <laughs> I think everybody wants to be helpful and everybody wants to feel needed. And I think that, you know, with voting in the 2018 elections, it was up and that was a great sign because our country needs to have more people voting and we should be at a much higher rate of people voting. But at the same time, I think with social media and everything else, there's a lot of um, engagement online and a lot of talking about what's wrong, but there's not a lot of people taking action. Some of that is because people don't have time and they don't know how, et cetera. So what, what I think we need to get better at is asking people to help us and, and telling them how they can help us. So it's not just, you know, everybody should volunteer. And just on the panel that I did um, this weekend with Mayor Licardo and with Comcast um, in at South by Southwest, what Mayor Licardo was saying was, you know, cities have to get better at facilitating the opportunities for citizens to get involved. So this is where our work comes in, because what we're doing is going to cities and saying, hey, you know, you've got some big things you're trying to accomplish. Have you thought about reaching out to the community? Do you trust the community enough to actually open your doors, open your books, open your troubles and, and put them on the table and say, could you help us with this and move away from the model of government being a transactional place where you kind of put your taxes into the vending machine and you get services out? Because that model is broken. Um, so how do you, because there's not enough money going in, <laughs> at least at the city level. So how do you fix that model to now becoming, hey, we need to do this and we know you care or we think you care. So tell us, one, whether or not you care. And two, help us to get there. So I think that's what we need to get better at doing. And what enables a city to do that. So when you're thinking about and you're working with 250 cities plus, it sounds like, uh, what are the characteristics that you look for when you're engaging in a new city? How do you know that, you know, that the service and volunteerism and civic engagement is dormant and just needs to be unlocked? And where, where do you know what there's actually more philosophical work that needs to be done, if that's the right way to think about it? Yeah. So I think it, it's both. So engagement doesn't happen overnight. And that's one of the things that we always have to talk to our cities about. Um, when we get a call from a city saying, hey, this sounds interesting and we'd like to do more. And we say, OK, what would you like to do more of? And they say, well, we'd like to do engagement. And we say, well, why? And so I've, you know, having part of it is having been a 
gone to law school and my training as a lawyer, but it's also, I'm very big on the whole Socratic method, drives the staff a little crazy, but I'm always asking questions. Um, and so the question, the first question is why, why do you want to do this? What is driving you to come to the table now? And pretty quickly we can get a sense of, are they doing this to check off a box somewhere that says, oh, we should be doing engagement or are they really genuinely interested in partnering with the community? And so leadership is really important because a lot of that is set by the mayor or the city manager, which is why we require all of our cities to have um, a commitment signed by the mayor or the city leadership that says that they are interested in doing this work and that they are going to do this work and that they're committing their resources to do this. Then after that, we need to know that there's actually people who are committed and the staff uh, from a staff level who can get the work done. So who is it that we're going to be working with on a day-to-day basis to help them to do this? Um, and then we, we approach it in terms of let's not think about engaging the community on that huge stadium that you're trying to build. Like if you're coming to me at that point and saying, oh, my God, I need to engage the community on building the stadium and we've already got everything lined up then you're not really interested in engagement. You're just interested in getting people to sign off on something, right? That's different. So what we say to them is start doing things in your community. Identify what the problems are with your community that you can actually solve with the community. So we're talking about relatively smaller things. Uh, and the, what's the low-hanging fruit in your community? What are the things that you can go into the community with and work with them to show them and to, and to show up and to actually do it and produce results with your community so that you can start to learn to trust each other and to build a relationship. And then you rinse and repeat and do that over and over and over again and, and not just do one day and then you're gone. So how do you do that? What are those opportunities? Because if you do that with your community and build up the relationships and get the community to buy in um, and to feel a sense of ownership of their community, then you can work with them on the tougher issues and the bigger issues that you're going to have coming down the line, whether it's a police community issue or a big stadium going up or whatever it may be. Do you have a story on when this has worked well or a city that has really moved forward on its civic engagement platform? I know uh, that this your initiative, Cities of Service, started in New York and New York is a highly engaged community and volunteerism is pretty low. I'm curious where you've seen success and if you could share a little bit with our listeners around the dimensions of that. Sure. So I think Phoenix is a really great example. And we worked um, we, we work really closely with the, pre, the prior administration and now they're about to elect a new mayor. Uh, but we also worked really closely and were engaged with the city manager's office through a chief service officer that was placed in the city manager's office. Um, and essentially what we did was we started out with them years ago on a small project. We started with them on a project called Cool Roofs, where they paint rooftops white to try to conserve energy and to, you know, to be, have better programs for the environment overall. So from that program, we started to then go into other smaller programs around the city. And while keeping the successes of the programs that we initially started alive and thriving. So Cool Roofs, which we did with them um, before my time, and it was back in 2012, I believe, that they did this program. It is now an element of what the city is doing across the board with all city buildings, that they have to be energy efficient and they have to have this cool roof as an element of it. Wow. Um, 
And then they also, and then we started working with them in 2014 around the program that we have called Love Your Block. Um, and it is a, it's a micro grant program that the city gives out to community based organizations. And what Phoenix really wanted to do was to, because it's such a sprawling, huge, wide city. So it's a, it's a city that has over a million people, but it is huge in terms of its width of the city, I guess. So it goes across pretty far. So people are spread out. And new communities are developing every day. And so with the city wanted to figure out how how do you create a social fabric in those newly developed communities, taking the new people moving in, the old people that have already been there. How do you resolve those kinds of tensions? So they create they wanted to do it through Love Your Block and they required those communities applying to have a neighborhood association. And the vistas went out from the city and with city staff to help the neighborhoods create these neighborhood associations and showed them what applications they have to fill out and showed them how they have to have meetings and they needed to submit um, minutes from their meetings that they had to show. I think they had to have at least two minutes, uh, two meetings before they can apply. So by putting those things into place, they created a social fabric. Um, and then they started to work on like creating parklets or planting trees and little by little. And the city would come out in advance and clean up the, you know, the abandoned areas or they would clean up the park where they would dig the holes where the trees would be planted, you know, and just kind of making sure that everything was set up for the volunteers to come out and do their activities on the day of. And then they would also even do things like activating neighborhood alleys to show the possibilities to the neighbors. So before they would say we're closing the doors on the applications, they would say, hey, come out and do this one thing with us where we activate a dirty alley that's been abandoned and they clean things up. And then they even had like bordering commercial properties that were just really eyesores and places where crime would occur. They would go in and try to work around those private commercial properties and give it a little love and, and paint murals and do all of these things to show neighbors that there's a possibility that they can fix things and it could be better. And so doing things like that really started to activate the citizenry to a point now where they now have programs that they're doing around climate change and the heat island effect and planting more trees and doing all of these different activities and engaging different parts of the community to get involved to further the goals of the city overall. So it's been years in the making, but it's been progressing and building on top of each other. And I think it's one of the um, probably one of the best, best cases that we have in terms of how they do the work that they do. Well, and clearly systemic and integrated, right? Like when, yeah. when the initial effort leaves, when the initial people who started it leave, it will still yep. exist, which I think is so important. And, yep. uh, you know, taking the time to build that infrastructure is something that I think we often miss in the service sector, the kind of one and done uh, yep. conversations and opportunities that, um, you know, solve sometimes <laughs> temporary challenges, but don't actually build it into the the ecosystem of a city. Yeah. How do you think about, and we think about this a lot, you know, the individual activation, and you talked about making it real for the neighbors in those communities. How do you think about skills-based volunteerism versus traditional volunteerism or hands-on volunteerism? You know, we think a lot about activating people's talents, not just their hours and their time, though both mm -hmm. are needed. And mm -hmm. um, would love to hear how you all think about that when you're having these conversations with cities 
how do you think about the different types of service that are available to us? Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge in, in with working with skill-based volunteers for a city um, is in scoping the matter, right? So the mayors that I talk to all say, hey, we want to do skill-based volunteering. We want to do skill-based volunteering. And we want, you know, people who have brain power. And as I just said it the other day, I was like, you know, people have not just like physical strength, but they actually have brains and they could use their brains to help you with things. Um, and it's it's a great way, I think, to activate people that may not have time during the day, but they can maybe do something in the evening. So we're always trying to figure out how to do it. And when we talk to the mayors and the city leadership about it, it always comes down to, well, it takes a lot of time to figure out what that problem is that they can help us with. And how do you get them to do this and how do you manage it, et cetera? And I think that's where organizations like yours really come into play. Um, one city that's actually taken steps to solve this problem has been is Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they're doing this program called Urban Data Pioneers. Um, and what that program is all about is that the mayor, when he came into office, part of what he campaigned on was that he wanted to be a really data driven city, that he wanted to use data to make to inform it would make policy decisions based on data so that he would be informed by reality uh, and not just what has already always been done or on gut. So when he got to the when he got into City Hall, um, what he realized was that he didn't have enough staff capacity to actually do some of the analysis to really be looking at the data and to figure out how that translates into what what policies should be. Uh, or to even think that way. So what he did was to open it up. And first he opened it up. He thought about opening it up to just government employees to say, hey, even if your title is not analyst um, or you don't have any experience doing GIS mapping, et cetera, if you're interested in working with data to solve problems, come on out and do this, join this program called Urban Data Pioneers. And we'll teach you how to do some of these things. We'll, we'll ask your brain power to help us to think about problems differently, thinking outside the box, right, by going outside the box. Um, and then he also opened it up to the public at large and said, you know, you never know. See who's going to come in. And he was really pleasantly surprised at the first meeting to have dozens of people from both the community and the corporate sector, uh, as well as from City Hall and other government agencies itself, to come in and to say, hey, we're here to help. So then what they did was to create different issues that the city was struggling with and wanted to resolve and create policies around. So everything from infrastructure spending, you know, how do you fix a pothole? How do you prioritize it to things like dealing with homelessness in the city? And he just kind of put the issues out there and said, what data sets would you need to work on these issues? And and go to the issues that interest you the most. So people kind of went to their own little groups that were of interest to them. And each group had an issue um, subject matter expert, as well as at least one or two people who knew how to deal with data analysis. And then um, they went and they started to work on it. And they worked mostly through Slack. So people were able to communicate to each other from wherever they worked, right? Um, relationships were formed. A lot of he talked. The mayor Bynum talks a lot about how silos within government were broken down as a result of this program. Interesting, because you start you start to develop relationships with people outside of your department, and so now you're now you've got friends that you can reach out to who, who you know have similar interests that can help you to get your regular work done in a better way, as well as to think about things in a slightly different way, right? Um, and they were able to, and they had many recommendations on particular, you know, that some tough issues 
that were sent up by these groups. And so the May, and now they're in their second or third cohort of Urban Dana Pioneers. Uh, they won the Engage Cities Award from us last year for this program. And with the winning, with the winning, um, prize, they created what they call Civic Hall, um, City Hall Fellowship Program around similar model. But what they did was now say to the community, if you have six weeks to give, um, I think it's six weeks where they can come in and commit to X numbers of hours per week to solve problems with the city using data and analysis. Um, then you can do it a little bit more intensively than just doing it offline, you know, during offline hours. So um, it's a really great program where they're not only building future data analysts, both in the community and in the city, they're bringing people together by working on issues that matter to the city and are of interest to them. Well, and I think that what you said about breaking down silos is so important. So much of this and so much of the work that both Common Impact and Cities of Service does is create a connection and get people in the same room and uh, and exposure and, and increased perspective. We work with a lot of large companies who say the same thing, right? Like, I never would have connected with this person in this other department that's actually really useful to my day job. And now I know them and now I can build a relationship with them. And for, you know, um, organizations that are relatively smaller, like ours, uh, there's often, of course, you guys have this skill set in house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but creating those connections are a lot harder than it seems. And so it's not just how do we think about uh, opening the eyes of our neighbors, corporate employees, public sector employees to the, the ways in which they can address challenges, but also just to who's available to tap both uh, from a skills and uh, an hours perspective. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. And I also think that especially in times like today where people are just so distrusting of one another, um, that working together side by side and focusing on a problem that everybody can agree is a problem is a really important way for people to break down the walls generally and to become more connected. Um, and, you know, you can do that by planting trees, but you can also do that by working together to figure out how do you, you know, how do you prioritize where the limited dollars go to fix a pothole in the city of Tulsa? Like not exactly the most interesting, exciting, sexy thing in the world, but it actually makes you feel like, hey, I got something really cool done and I made that recommendation to the city. And now the city's going to take that recommendation and do something with it. So um, it, it's a great way for people to connect. Well, and it doesn't take long to break down and get to that humanity and move past the label of whether it's Republican or Democrat, whether it's corporate employee or nonprofit sector profession, whatever it is that is associated with that person's identity, you know, it, it takes a couple of minutes, maybe a question, <laughs> and that common challenge that you're talking about to get folks past that. It's, it's such a, a, a resonant point to me. And that's why one of I really, my team and I, we really think about the work we do every day as a way of keeping democracy alive. Only 48% of the world trust their government. That's less than half of the population, right? In the U.S., it's actually only 40% of the people trust their government. So when you have statistics like that, then getting people to trust each other and to trust government, the work that we're doing every day by saying, hey, government, open your doors and let the people in and work with them side by side 
to build relationships and solve problems and to get at that, that trusting relationship. And especially in local government, where you are going to run into these people on the streets every day, right? If you're a resident, you can see your mayor down the street. Even in a big city like New York, I know where I can go find my mayor. And so there are ways that you can really work together in a tangible, concrete way for people to see and feel and touch the change that they can actually impact and getting closer to the people and giving the people a sense of ownership and pride in the city. And like by feeling that, they start to feel greater responsibility for the work and then they start to have relationships. And it's really, I think, a way to build democracy that, um, that we have to keep working at. And as someone who is leading that work and just hearing you talk it, you can hear and see the perspectives that you've had from your career, which has spanned sectors. And often the folks that we're talking to on this podcast are chameleons, misfits that have you know, worked in different types of roles in different types of sectors and have come to a place where they're now leveraging that to do the, the work that they're doing and would love to hear how you've thought about your own career path, what brought you to this work, and uh, it, you can hear the passion in your voice, what, what makes you so passionate about it. <laughs> yeah. So I've had a long and winding road to where I am now, right? And, um, and it's, but in thinking about some of the, some of the jobs that I've had um, have been like totally whimsical. <laughs> and from my, if you look at a career path, I worked at Major League Baseball on the online side. Uh, I'm not a jock. So I love baseball, but I'm not a jock. So be thinking about me working at Major League Baseball, it's kind of funny. But then I've also had other jobs where it was just purely based on faith that things will work out. Like when I graduated from law school, I didn't take the job at the law firm. I had it and then I turned it down to take a $65,000 pay cut and to do a fellowship working with incarcerated women. And like crazy things that I've done with my career path. But I think through it all, the common um, the commonality was that there's always a deep need for me to help people and a deep desire to improve how things are working. I've I've always got to tweak something to make it better and to serve more people to have greater impact. And this job uh, allows me to do both at the same time. So with the passion of continuous improvement and public service, um, this is where I can best put all of that to work. And I find that mayors are my most often mayors and city staff are like my allies in this and right. this kind of passion to do this, uh, to do this work. So it's a perfect fit. Well, and it also sounds like you're willing to look at a path that's not necessarily right in front of you or take a leap. You know, if you graduate from law school and you don't go into a job where you're required to be a lawyer, for example, uh, it's that, that has been a trend of, folks that have been on this podcast and are willing to say, okay, you know what? This is not the black and white next step. This is not the quote unquote career ladder that is laid out, but it's, um, I'm following my passion. I'm curious when those moments are in front of you, do you recognize them as that? Uh, is it something different? Is it just your center of gravity is your commitment to service? H how do you think about those moments as you're um, toggling through the sectors in your career. Yeah. So, you know, when I first got out of law school, I think it was about, oh, my God, I came to law school because I wanted to save the world. And this isn't it. Like yeah. going to work in a big white shoe law firm and making a ton of money wasn't it. And I had that moment of reckoning. But ever since that moment, I think I've been going back and forth between 
especially in my 20s, um, going back and forth between, oh, I really want to be able to buy whatever I want whenever I want. So being a public interest you know, um, fellow is not going to do it. So I've had jobs that were purely economically driven or jobs that were like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll go do that. Um, but I think that after a while, I, I've come to a place, um, and I think it was after Major League Baseball, um, after that experience, and I've learned so much. But after that, I realized, you know, the places where I've been the most happy, like wherever I felt really that it was consonant in my career. I, there's a book that my friend just wrote called um, Limitless, and it is by my friend Laura Gassner Odding, and it really speaks to me, and it's coming out soon. So go pre-order it. But it's um, it's all about consonance in your life. It's not just about like feeling, com- you know, finding your happiness. But it's actually about like what makes you happy, and and what else could you actually do to meet your basic needs, etc. Right. So right. where do you feel most consonant? Uh, and I think that's what I've been looking for. And this job actually does offer that because I can fulfill my creativity, my drive to do better for the world and also to be in the thick of things. I want to be in the room where it happens. Like, and this is where how I get to be in the room where it happens. And so um, there's a lot of those things that have fallen together. But have I always thought about that when I was making my decisions? No. You know, it only comes with age and experience, I think. Right, right. And uh, you can paint a pretty narrative. I have the same reflection on my own career, pretty narrative around how you got there and how intentional all of these pieces would be. But at the end of the day, you just follow what you think is right and is going to be good for you. And is that intersection of what you care about and what is practical for you. I I love the idea of that book. What reminds us of the title again so that we can. Uh, It's called Limitless and it is by, yeah. And my, it's by my friend, Laura Gassner Odding. And it's a really, it's a, it's a really interesting book. It's not a heavy read at all. And she's very funny and she's really like tells a lot of stories around it. So, um, and it's about her career path as well. So I think it is something that should speak to you all um, and go get it because it will really help um, understand the idea of consonants in your career path. So I, I really love it. So aside from reading this book, if uh, you, know, you were to provide advice or guidance to someone who's either looking to become more civically engaged or wants to do so as a career and have a career like yours, what would you tell them? Yeah. So go look for it, right? <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, it's not going to just fall on your lap for the most part, but be open to it. There's lots and lots of opportunities um, and there's lots of different ways that you can get involved. So look it up. Um, look for friends of yours who are doing things that are interesting that you want to go do and talk to them about it. Um, you have to be curious and you have to be able you want to and you have to be willing to offer up what you've got. Um, I think that, you know, you, if you want something and if you want to be engaged, you have to go and look for those opportunities and know that on the flip side, I'm spending my time telling cities, Hey, you got to make it easy for these people to put it out there. (laughs) We're working on both sides. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Working on both sides and hopefully that everybody will be able to, um, take advantage of it. What's the best part of your day? Oh, my God. So when I'm at work, the best part of my day is when I get to be crazy and think up insane ideas about new programs and things and think about all the possibilities. And my team indulges me and they will go with me. And we actually turn those things into realities. Like those are the fun parts of my day at work. 
but as much as I love my job and the people that I work with and what I do, um, I have to say the best part of my day is going home and having dinner with my husband and my daughter. It is um, they ground me. They give me perspective and um, they call me out on stuff that only they can do. <laughs> nobody else can do. Um, and so that's I, that's got to be my favorite. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, um, something that a lot of folks come back to, right, is the what actually energizes you as a human and a person and, and regrounds you and what's important. It doesn't necessarily have to happen in the nine to five, but often happens where you where you have the people that you love most and you are reflecting on what you've done all day. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a, a bit about your work and um, cities of service and uh, what drives you and motivates you. I um, talk for hours longer and I might take you up on that outside of the, the podcast, but just really appreciate you taking a little bit of your time to share your work with our listeners today. Thanks for letting me come and chat. Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune into our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.